Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about Godzilla versus Kong. Yes! The Battle of the Titans, the fight of the century, has finally arrived in theaters everywhere. And it's doing surprisingly well, by the way. The 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 the, the most most biggest budget what, made a bunch of money right that's the deal that's right it, which, biggest budget a biggest uh, blockbuster of the pandemic yeah which hasn't been happening i probably shouldn't have tried to swing into that in my intro if i wasn't actually ready to say anything we're also going to take a look at netflix's concrete cowboy new idris elba film that just premiered over there it's currently number two in the united states on netflix we're excited to talk about that movie we're going to look at uh, some things that are coming up soon in a segment we haven't done in over a year so <laughs> oh long God. ago uh in fact I forgot we even did this as a segment until Andy reminded me, so that'll happen in between our reviews and before we get to all of that. Of course, we talk about the news. First things first, what's going on with Knives Out, Andy? What, 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 do, you, what do you know about this story? Not Knives Out 2 and 3? Yeah, something? So, in a historic move, uh, Knives Out, the sequel, uh, or sorry, the sequel to Knives Out, um, struck a big deal with Netflix to, uh, to produce two sequels, so Knives Out 2 and 3, for upwards of $450 million. So a huge deal uh, for the, the big whodunit. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a surprise to see Netflix was swooping in on this, right? I mean, originally I, we assumed it was going to be what Sony did the last one, right? I don't remember, but it, yes, it was a theatrical exclusive. Yeah, and now suddenly uh, Netflix is getting in on this. This is um, this is interesting. Because Netflix obviously is trying to build out their content library a bit. I get that. They already have a lot going on, but they want some premiere. They want some premiere stuff. And Knives Out 2 and 3 is definitely, you know, pr- pr- premiere movie product, I think. But uh, there's a lot of money to, to throw around at two sequels, right? That like may not have the same fervor as the original. Maybe Netflix knows something we don't. Right. Well, I actually read another story that just came out today in The Hollywood Reporter uh, that talked about how this deal came about. And one thing is that uh, they were a little worried about theater exclusivity because of coronavirus. And and so then the whoever the whoever owns the rights to it began shopping it to the streamers. And that's when Netflix kind of pounced on it. Um, and they admit that they are, you know, overpaying for the property. But, you know, with all the streamers, you have to front load uh, the purchase because there are no back end ticket sales. You can't count on what, what it's going to do in the back end in the box office. So you got to pay a premium up front. Yeah. It's worth mentioning on the side of this, by the way, Ryan Johnson is still reportedly working on his Star Wars trilogy. I don't know if you remember from way back when they were making Star Wars movies. Yeah, uh, they gave Ryan Johnson the next trilogy of films following episodes seven, eight and nine. supposed to be its own thing. Um, But after his work on eight, they were like, we want you to do more and went with that. Now, you'd think based on audience reaction, Disney would be leaning away from doing any more work with Ryan Johnson. But no, according to this, he's still actively working on a Star Wars trilogy that he is writing all on his own. And I'm not sure about directing, but I mean, assumedly, you know, running the board for so this guy is doing something right. Like, it's not just, okay. this dude who had a couple hits is making a couple movies on Netflix like these companies are getting invested in him and what he's doing. So I'm looking forward to it. I guess I actually really enjoyed knives out. I don't know if you remember from way back when we did our review, but uh, it's a surprisingly American film right now. It's shooting in Greece. I'm interested to see where they're taking it and what, what's going to happen with that series. I know it follows Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc. Do we know anything else about it? Right. Other than shooting in Greece. Yeah. That's all we know is that it will star uh, Benoit Blanc and it'll be another whodunit. Um, Now I remember some details from that other article. So now that, that uh, things are starting to turn around and people are going back to theaters, 
uh, it seems like studios are really leaning on their blockbuster properties with, you know, their big Marvel films, Star Wars, whatever else. And they're kind of leaning away from mid-budget films, which it is what this is. And so that, that was part of the reason it went to a streamer because streamers are a little bit better known for supporting mid-budget films. Yeah, worth mentioning. I threw this up while you were talking because uh, we can actually put Facebook comments on stream every once in a while. Jordan pointing out uh, Ryan Johnson's next three Star Wars for movies could not possibly be worse than the last three Star Wars movies. Thank you for that, Jordan. <laughs> I agree. Oh, I oh I I'm I'm <laughs> I'm so excited for him to do his own because I and I will agree that the Last Jedi doesn't fit in well with that whole trilogy, but I do think it is the strongest of those films, and I and I think it's one of the best Star Wars films ever made. Um, and I think if he has the uh, kind of creative control to just tell his story from beginning to end, I think we'll, we'll get a great series. Yeah, that's uh, worth mentioning. Uh, Last Jedi is not not all that bad. I think people it looks worse in the rear view than it actually is because of the films that sandwich between Last Jedi is a surprisingly solid Star Wars movie. Yeah, I'm interested in those two. I, I, I want to know more about Knives Out 2 and 3. I guess good for Netflix, man. Like good for them getting their money's worth. Um more on this story, you know, keep it here on Offscript. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you more as we find out things. Next up, speaking of new directors, Ava DuVernay making headlines this week with uh, her film New Gods, along with James Wan's The Trench, uh, movies for DC are not actually happening at Warner Brothers. Originally, the two, these two directors were supposed to be making a couple DC movies. Now they're not. What is this about, Andy? So Ava DuVernay was supposed to make this film called New Gods, which was a DC property that dealt with kind of these alien beings, including Darkseid, who we, we met in uh, Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, as well as Big Barda and Apocalypse. And it's very otherworldly, very deep into like comic book lore. Um, the problem is, though, is that DC doesn't really know what they're doing or what direction they're going in, and they just don't know where to put this kind of film. They don't know where to put it in their slate because, basically, DC is very reactionary. Um, when things are bad, they, they react one way, and then when things are good, they kind of also react. And so they don't really have a plan, and they just didn't really know where to put this film. And the same thing goes for The Trench, which is the uh, kind of horror uh, offshoot spinoff of, of Aquaman that was supposed to happen as well. Yeah, this is a bit of a surprise for a couple reasons. One, because you'd think DC would be putting things together by now. You'd think they have a plan. Joke's on you. They don't. Two, both of these are really solid directors. Uh, Ava DuVernay has done a lot of really fantastic work for the black community. Uh, she's made a, a lot of, of really tremendous films. We watched a few on this, this show. Selma 13 was a really great documentary on Netflix. Um, a Wrinkle in Time was my least favorite by her, but she didn't actually write that one. So, you know. Uh, James Wan, meanwhile, uh, is the, is kind of heading up the Fast and Furious franchise. So, like, you'd think you'd want that fast energy, like, behind a DC movie. But here we are. Um, I I think it's a mistake to kind of shelve these ideas. I, I think maybe they're trying to aim for more mainstream stuff. Because these are definitely. definitely both odd. But, like, I think of, like, Shaz the success of Shazam, right? Like a movie that ultimately probably should not have popped nearly as well as it did totally working. Like there's no reason these couldn't happen. And I think you're right. It's reactionary. Uh, personally, I think it's reactionary because they're seeing that Snyder cut buzz and they're like, hold on a second. We need, we need to start working on a strategy. <laughs> see, see, exactly. This is what I mean. Like they, they, something goes bad and they, they do a knee jerk reaction. Same thing when things go, go good. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of mentioned in this article is that because new gods dealt with dark side as a main character, they kind of didn't want him 
coming up so soon after coming up in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. And that's... <laughs> Which is kind of petty, but... Yeah, of course it's petty. The whole thing with DC is saying, like, Zach, the Snyderverse stuff isn't going to matter. The Snyder cut doesn't matter. That's that's irrelevant. It's not canon. And then suddenly deciding afterwards, well, you know, hold on. Darkseid was in that a whole lot. People might get confused. Then it matters, right? Like, that you can't you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You got to pick a direction and stick with it. They don't seem to be able to do that here. So I, I don't know what what the plan is, but it doesn't seem to involve these two pretty solid directors. Yeah, and it, and it's um, I, I mean, they had written a script for New Gods, like they had completed a, a script, which is really you know an exciting point to get to. So it kind of sucks that that they're not going to move forward with it. Um, yeah, that's just that's just how it goes sometimes. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, for more DC news, keep it here on Off Script for more. Our last story this week: Godzilla versus Kong has been crushing. The box office. This headline says Godzilla versus Kong defeats pandemic with forty eight point <laughs> five million dollar U.S. starts, uh, almost three hundred million dollars globally. Andy, it finally happened. Mission accomplished. Godzilla versus Kong has done it. Almost fifty million in the U.S. though is nothing to scoff at. Man, that hasn't happened since like twenty nineteen, right? Yeah, the the biggest um, opening we've had. Over the pandemic was Wonder Woman 1984, which was about uh, 16 million. And then after that, uh, Tenet at like nine or 10 million, although they kind of fudge the number. So yeah, this is huge. This is the biggest opening we've had. And the other thing that's notable is that this premiered on both HBO Max and in theaters. And so, and people saw, um, they watched it on both mediums a lot. Like it was a huge hit on HBO Max and also in theaters. So it's, it, you know, it's saying a lot about this hybrid release. Yeah, I saw an article from that uh, third-party uh, streaming like statistic company Samba. They're like Nielsen, I think, or some something like that. Um, they said it got like a ton of play on HBO Max, like a lot. I don't think it got as many plays as like Wonder Woman eighty four, but that was Christmas Day. That was a different thing. This is Easter weekend. People got nowhere to be. They got that sweet, sweet HBO Max subscription, which is basically like a digital ticket to the box office in twenty twenty one. Like, come on, you're, you're gonna you're gonna watch some, yourself some Godzilla v Kong. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm, I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'm surprised by this, but I kind of am, honestly. Maybe we've just been doing this whole, like, staying away from the theater too long thing. Uh, but it's surprising to see this many people are starting to get back into it. But those vaccines are coming around, right? Like, it's, 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 yeah, it, it's time. It's, it's kind of a perfect storm of, yeah, the, the vaccine is becoming uh, much more widely uh, dispersed and lots of people are vaccinated and getting vaccinated so they're more comfortable going to the theater also we've been cooped up for a year haven't really gotten a chance to go and you know there was always going to be one movie there's going to be something that was going to get people or that was going to be the the hit and it happens to be this and i just think Chris, poor chris nolan rolling over in his, in his grave uh because he was hope he was hoping to be the one to save cinema when tenet came out in in august um, and that didn't happen at all. And here it is, uh, Godzilla v Kong. Don't you wish you could hop in a in a, a trans-dimensional spaceship and and fly to a different dimension where Tenet comes out on Easter instead of this and genuinely is the thing people are talking about? Because I I man, I I wish Tenet had had that buzz. There were so many people when we saw Tenet who would try to talk to you about it, and they were like, What movie is this? I don't even know yeah. what you're talking about. See, like it's a shame. See, that's a problem. I don't know that if Tenet had come out now, I still don't think it would have done as well as, as Godzilla v Kong. Yeah, maybe like, not. Like like you're 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 um you're benefiting from name recognition and action. That's very true. 
Um, and Tenet was definitely not big on like, hey, here's our star-studded cast, whereas this is like, it's in the freaking title. It's Godzilla versus Kong. You know exactly what you're getting. And with that, we should jump into exactly what we're getting. Uh, I do, I'm excited to talk about Godzilla v Kong, but before we get into the formal review, really quick, worth mentioning, Andy and I both went to a movie theater to see this. And I do want to talk about the theatrical experience because we've gone a couple times since the pandemic has got, been underway. It's been very quiet. This time, though, was the busiest I've seen in movie theater since 2019. Is bananas. Andy, Andy, you want to weigh in on your experience or should I jump in first here? Um, so... Yeah, it was exciting to be back in the theater. And we were in the big, like, 500-seat uh, auditorium at our Cinemark. Um, and there were all the staples. There were people talking. There were people on their phone. The movie didn't work initially. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But oh, when God. things got underway and, you know, were on the giant screen, you know, it, it didn't really matter. Right. It was a good um, time. You're, you're 100% right. This Before we get into the review, it's worth mentioning Godzilla v. Kong it's hands down worth watching in a movie theater. There's no way it's as good on HBO Max. Like big, big monsters swinging at each other. You need to, you should see that in a theater if possible. Obviously, wherever you live, things are going to be safe. But I'd say maybe, maybe go, maybe go try it out. You got to wear a face mask the whole time. We went to Cinemark for what it's worth. So if you're looking for policies, uh, and also Cinemark's prices, I think, are back up to what they used to be. They're definitely a little bit which pricier sucks. than they had been. It sucks. It is, dude, already buying tickets online, it was almost 14 bucks a pop for like a standard theater. Like we didn't go to IMAX or anything. Like this was standard theater. It was like a Saturday night showing, Sunday night showing. Uh, it was 14 bucks. And then you get, you know, you get, you get a drink on top of that. And a large drink is five bucks. Boom. You're at like $20, you know, like, oh, it, it'll mess you up, man. You had people... <laughs> The movie didn't start on time. That was good. Also, people clapping at the end. That was weird. I was yeah, like, oh, was... yeah. I didn't. You know, I don't mind that. Like, I don't clap after movies, but I know a lot of people do. And some people think it's really dumb and annoying, but I always think it's endearing. And I'm glad that people had a good time. So I was kind of glad to, this hit, is, to hear it. This is going to be counterintuitive to my actual feelings on the review of the film. I think clapping at the end of this movie was dumb. Like this is, come on. It's not the passion for God's sake. Like it's Godzilla V Kong. You don't have to clap. Like what are you, who are we applauding? CGI a good time. Yeah. And that's, and it's been a while since people have been in the theaters, but yeah. Anyway, let's jump into the movie. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summer on this one. Andy's got concrete cowboy towards the end of the show. The movie is Godzilla V Kong. So Godzilla versus Kong is the ultimate battle of the monsters. The next chapter in the cinematic monster verse that's pitting two of the greatest icons in motion, motion picture history against one another. From Toho in Japan, Godzilla weighing in at 100 billion pounds. And from Skull <laughs> Island, somewhere off the coast of South America, we have King Kong weighing in at like another 100 million pounds. The movie takes place in modern day, whereas Kong Skull Island was set in the 70s. This is set now, uh, very close to immediately following the events of Godzilla King of the Monsters, which came out in 2018, I think. Uh, in this movie, Kong uh, uh, Godzilla attacks uh, a, a tech lab off the coast of Pensacola, Florida, out of nowhere. And, and in this universe, the world is not only okay with Titans being around, but they've accepted Godzilla as kind of this 
uh, all-powerful guardian of, of man who will never actually hurt people. But now, suddenly, Godzilla's mad, and nobody knows why. But the U.S. government has to respond. So they hire some folks out of South America to put King Kong on a boat, wheel <laughs> him over here, chock full of sedatives and chained up to, to a giant boat, and fight Godzilla, except not in America, in, in Hong Kong, in an LED-filled Hong well, Kong tr- with crazy neon. Get, get King Kong home. Or yes. to like some some like pit that you know. There's this whole thing about Hollow Earth, and they're trying. They're not taking him to to fight Godzilla initially. It just kind of happens. That's kind of true. Yeah, you're right. Technically, they're trying to figure out why Godzilla's mad, so King <laughs> Kong is going to help them yeah, figure that the plot out. Doesn't really matter. I don't know why I'm bring, uh, correcting you. <laughs> it's a little true. Yeah, and and what this movie does is give us a actually a couple of monster movies. Right? It's not just Godzilla v Kong. It's a Godzilla movie. It is actually, believe it or not, fundamentally more of a King Kong movie than it is a Godzilla movie. And it's also just a little bit of Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm excited to jump into it. Andy, uh, what did you think of Godzilla v. Kong? So it does exactly what it says on the tin. It, um, it's a big monster movie, Clash of the Titans kind of thing. There are big monster fights, lots of action, lots of CGI, inconsequential p- plot. There's a few too many human characters, and there's a particularly annoying uh, subplot of a comic relief trio which we'll get into but overall it works it's i mean tons of action like you're going here to see big monsters slug it out and destroy cities that's exactly what they do it's a good time it's a little long uh but it's a lot of fun yeah so i actually enjoyed this one a lot this is this is maybe my favorite of all of these most recent like monster movies um i i think i like this more than the two other godzilla films and kong skull island um, because of a couple fundamental things, it does really, really well. And and the main one is putting the spotlight on the monsters pretty much all the time. Like, uh, oh, I, I feel like over 50% of the screen time in this film, there's a monster on screen. Like, over half. And, like, that's worth something, you know? Because ultimately, I'm, co- I'm going to the theater to be childish and watch monsters smashy smash stuff. And it totally works. And a lot of times in these movies, you get bogged down in the characters and the people. And this movie has those pitfalls, but ultimately the action, the monster stuff rises out over the top of it. It's like going to see a horror movie where the plot's dumb, but it's got really good scares. Like, it's hard to say it's a bad time. So let's jump into what what makes this movie work, what makes it not work. First things first, our general plot, because it's a little confusing. And we don't do spoilers on this show, but Andy, you want to take a swing at what exactly is going on here at least up to a point yeah so the there's a lot which is kind of an issue uh we have king kong on skull island who which has been i guess taken over by the storm that surrounds the island and so for some reason they say you know we got to move kong he's not he's you know he's not gonna sort of survive here um but also if if we move kong godzilla's gonna know just because he just because he's gonna know like it's not really ever explained um and so there's also this third issue of, you know, the someone brings up the hollow earth theory where there's like, oh, there's actually like living area within the earth and that's where Kong is from. That's where he needs to go back to. So they're trying to, they sedate Kong, who knows how, put him on a boat. <laughs> that happens off him. screen very conveniently. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a whole lot of real important things happen off screen. Yes. Um, but they have to take him to Antarctica to there's a pit or there's an entrance to this hollow earth earth place. See already the plot's a little convoluted yes. on the way there. Uh, Godzilla shows up, but also Godzilla had attacked some, 
tech lab in Florida. Tech yeah, lab, right. Kind of for no reason. They, they don't really know why. Yeah. So these are the main two plots, but there's also a, a slew of um, human characters, which I'm going to pull up right now because I, I didn't have it Oh, ready. God. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but um, Alexander Skargard, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Isaac Gonzalez, Julian Dennison, like Kyle Chandler, Damian Bashir, like... And you, basically, they're all playing stock characters. You got the research scientists. You got the, you know, the business mogul. You, right. You, you, got, you, you've got the you've got the struggling father. You have the misunderstood child. You have the the errant podcast host. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Go ahead. You got. I was gonna say you have Millie Bobby Brown playing Millie Bobby Brown. Yes. Like M- MBB is there to just so you could say, hey, she's from Stranger Things. Yeah, it's worth mentioning both the movies we're talking about on this episode I had feature children from Stranger Things as the main characters. That's kind of an interesting point. Uh, yeah. So the thing that works really well, the thing, do- okay, the thing that doesn't work about this plot because Andy's Andy's pretty much got it right. We have to move Kong off of Skull Island to another place because God, not necessarily because Godzilla is mad, but in a totally different set of problems godzilla is mad and godzilla will get mad at kong when kong is not on skull island and they will fight so that's that's kind of what's going on here we got to get kong off skull island stuff goes south what's effective about this is you've given a you've given us a reason to follow kong through the film kong comes with the humans so wherever the humans go kong is coming with we now have like our party we we now have our band of heroes that we're following and kong is one of them in fact the film opens on kong within seconds we get king kong on screen and then like 10 minutes later godzilla's on screen it's very efficient that way it gets right to the monsters right to the goods and now we have a reason throughout the entire film to have a monster with us a monster that's sympathetic a monster we can engage with uh, a monster that we have a character who can uh do communicate with kong this little girl who's grown up on on kong island on on skull island can uh has a way of kind of like feeling out how Kong feels. It's basically, it's basically sign language, but um, so, so we can get a little bit of Kong being sad or Kong being mad or whatever. And this plays off well against Godzilla, who is pitted as kind of our villain. We don't really get to see him. He's kind of just under the water in the ocean until he rises up and blows something up and then goes back under. You gotta, you gotta step away from a lot of the logical leaps in this movie because in this monster verse in, in, in the world of Godzilla and Kong here, not only are we flying around like Tron spaceships, like that are co- from some completely alternate <laughs> yeah. future that isn't real, but also not, the world just acknowledges that these monsters are real and really doesn't do anything to fight them. Like you see at a couple points, they have like Titan shelters. You see that in the Florida stuff when, when Godzilla's trampling Florida in the opening of the mm-hmm. film. You see people running to these like Titan shelters, but nobody is bothering to shoot a gun or aim a missile at Godzilla at all. They don't even try. Because they know Godzilla will destroy everything if he feels like it. So better just not make him mad. Yeah. Kong is kind of in the same boat. Humans don't stand a chance. So it's a whole lot of like, hey, let's just step back and let these guys duke it out. Except, of course, in the case of Kong, who were able to cage, sedate, and shackle all the way from, from South America to Antarctica. I don't know why, but that's 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 the way this movie works. It's some leaps in logic, but a good reason to watch monsters. Yeah, and eventually this all leads up to big fights. Um, Godzilla eventually senses Kong across the globe and that he's out. Of course. Uh, they meet up. There's a big boat fight that um, I'm sure you've seen in the, in the trailers. And we get a couple of other, other clashes. Um, some interesting stuff. And there's the Hollow Earth thing comes into play 
as well. That part I actually thought was really interesting. I wish we would have spent more more time there. But but you're you know you're that's exactly what you're signing up for. You want to see the big monsters go at it. Right. And and that's the stuff it does really well cuz cuz it's I mean maybe 30 minutes into the I mean 25 minutes in the film you're getting your first big monster fight. Um and it's good stuff. We've already seen both of our monsters on screen. Our our two title fighters are presented very early in the film. Godzilla's already blowing up Florida. Kong's already on Skull Island and then you get the two of them actually swinging each other. And it's so good, dude. Like the the monster action in this movie is fantastic because it feels like a little kid holding like action figures, just smashing them into each other. And that's exactly (laughs) what it should feel like. Like it's fun and it's cool and they're huge. And also worth mentioning, I know we'll talk about music towards the end. The sound design in this movie is stunningly good. These monsters feel so legit and they got it like when Godzilla whips his tail around, you hear the tail like fly by you above you in the theater and like Kong's got this deep rumble roar and when he pounds on like it all sounds so awesome and sound design is a huge part of making a monster movie effective. So worth mentioning if you're watching this at home, please for the love of God have a good sound system because it's really good work. Yeah, like like you have so much... um... That's why you got to see it in the theater. There's a giant, um, you know, you got to have, you got to be on the big screen. You got to have the larger in life sound. It's just not, I don't care how good your home theater is. It's not going to be yeah. as good as going to the, to the big theater. Right. Um, yeah. Like, like I said, the, the, the only kind of downside are the, the human subplots, which they're just well, kind of way too many characters. And the thing is they're trying to shove everyone from all the previous movies into this one. And some characters aren't aren't here, and then also a, a bunch of people that we haven't seen in a while are. So it's it's kind of a strange thing. Yeah, the performances I felt like were really weak all across the board. In a little, in a little because the same it has the same problem Kong Skull Island has has too many characters and it's trying to juggle too much. I don't. I don't understand why these movies do that. I think it's to make it feel global. It's to make it feel grand and epic. Like, oh, we have 14 leads we have to juggle here. But it just ends up feeling jumbled. And it feels like people don't have enough, like, value in the actual script to justify being there. I mean, like you said, we've we've got, like, a comedy trio in this film with Millie Bobby Brown, Brian Tyree Henry, and Julian Dennison. Like, none of them actually need to be in the film. They, they have very little impact on the actual course of the film. In fact, most of these characters don't because ultimately nobody swings on Godzilla and Kong. Like nobody can compare. <laughs> yeah, no. That's it. They, they do. They don't even shoot at them in this movie. A couple times you get like some distractions to try to distract Godzilla. But like humanity has no dog in the fight. And that's cool because we get so much time with the monsters. But like also it makes all our human characters feel pointless. I think I think Gareth Edwards with Godzilla back in 2016 did this really well. I don't know if you remember that movie, but Brian Cranston was kind of our lead. And it turned out that was a bit of a false flag for us to really be focused on uh, the guy who played Kick-Ass, Aaron Taylor Johnson. And it's like the two of them. And like, that's it. The whole movie's told from the ground. It feels very grounded. It like very, very realistic. And Godzilla is this very big problem that we're always looking up at. These movies go the opposite way. They give us a ton of characters and they make it feel like it's supposed to be this thing that's big and grand and scalable. Ultimately, none of them really feel, I don't know, valuable. Yeah, I was going to say there was a notable missing. Uh, they usually have like a token Chinese or Asian character that was missing this time around, which is this is probably the time that you wanted to, to have hold that. on. Yeah, they, they have one. He's the uh, he's one of the. Well, OK, I don't want to oh, say wait, it, oh, wait. it's a bit of a spoiler. No, the, yeah. Yes. No, no, you are. Yeah, they, Sorry, they, they 100% have a token Eastern Eastern actor. Yes, yes. that that's true. Sorry, yes. 
Well, what I was thinking is that they they there's people missing, uh, namely uh, Zhang uh, Zi. She was in the King of the Monsters. She is not in this one. And that's what I mean. There's like a bunch of characters from the other films that they were shoving into this one and then other ones that they weren't. It was it was kind of weird how they they um kind of chose that. Yeah, like Al- Alexander Skarsgård's character. Alexander Skarsgård is supposed to be the lead in this film. And he's not only like phenomenally uncharismatic, but he's really unmotivated. His character kind of makes decisions that like don't really make a lot of sense, but that just moves the plot along because we don't really care about the people. But at the beginning of the film, he is a professor who who has written a book about this hollow earth theory, right? That's kind of how he ends up getting recruited into this mission. And he mentions like a brother of his who died investigating the hollow earth or something. And after the movie, I Sandy, I was like, hey, who was that? Was he one of the previous movies? And you were like, I don't think so. Like, I don't even remember at this point. I feel like he was just supposed to be Tom Hiddleston from Kong Skull Island, but they couldn't get Tom Hiddleston back. So they were like, uh, here, we'll stick in some other relatively charismatic, handsome looking man. The the other problem with that movie is, you know, Kong Skull Island takes place in the 70s. So you can't have any of those characters be in the movie 50 years later. Right. Um, that does give us the opportunity to have some developments around Kong and Skull Island, which this movie takes advantage of. But ultimately, like, yeah, trying to mash the two together is pretty successful if you're not too busy looking at the seams. Like, if you, if you, if you start to pick this movie apart, it will immediately fall apart, 100%. But the monster stuff is a lot of fun. We get about three good bouts of Kong and Godzilla in this thing. Like, two or three times, they really swing at each other. Then we get a big fight at the end. It's worth mentioning uh, the, the the director of this movie, his name is Adam Wingard, did say uh, I, one of these monsters is kind of going to definitively win in this mashup. It's not just going to be like a cop-out. Andy, you'd agree that's mostly true. Like, one of them basically wins, right, out of out of the two of them. Yeah, I feel like the movie wanted to kind of create a controversy of like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a, a fight that goes to, to the cards, you know, and that'll be, contra- you know, win by decision and see you know, and kind of argue about who really won. But it, it's actually really kind of uh, clear. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the poster says one will fall, and I think it's pretty clear which one that is. Um you know, some, some fan theories about what may be going on in this movie, that maybe there's some uh, third third antagonist or something will show up. The two will have to team up against a fight. You just have to go find, see yourself and find out. All right. I'm not going to we're not going to we're not spilling the beans here on off script. But uh, for what it's worth, I, I think this movie does what it says it's going to do. It's it's monster versus monster. And it's supposed to be the two of them beating the hell out of each other. And normally I don't go for stuff like that. But this time, like I really did, because if you if you just completely forget about the humans, <laughs> if you completely write off 35 percent of the movie. You'll actually really enjoy the rest of it. it. It's cool sticking with Kong on this journey and then having Godzilla show up to antagonize and then him swinging back on Godzilla. Like you get some good, some good environments. You get some good fights. You get some good moments, very cinematic, very bold. I mean, Godzilla v Kong, right? What more is there to say? Not much. I think we're ready for recommendations. Just about a couple other things I have to say. Um, I wanted to mention uh, a child actor who's in this movie and I can't find her name here on IMDb. Oh, Kaylee Hoddle. Uh, she plays the young girl on Skull Island who can communicate with Kong. Uh, she's not given any lines because she, she's deaf, uh, at least in the film. I don't know if she is in reality, but she does sign language throughout the movie. And that 
is kind of brilliant because if you have a care a child communicating with Kong, right? This needs to be somebody who's got some some cinematic presence. It can't just be an annoying kid. It needs to be somebody who audiences don't mind seeing on screen a couple of times. And one being deaf, she can't flub any lines because I mean, child actors, it's easy for child actors to flub lines like that's that happens all the time. Like you'll have a child actor who's a little annoying, doesn't you know, one that doesn't happen Two, it's another brilliant opportunity for the sound design, because whenever we hear things from her perspective, it's the big roars and booms of our monster fights, but they're muffled and they're drawn down. Um, just just some really clever opportunities at writing there. Um, to have her communicate with Kong, who also can't speak English. Like, I, I was impressed with that. That was a, that was a smart angle. In this movie. Someone, someone needs to make a parody called Sound of Monkey. <laughs> like Sound of Metal. You see where I'm going there? <laughs> I thought it was Sound of Music, but yes, I see, I see where you're going there. Yeah. Uh, additionally, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the sound design. I really enjoyed the cinematic, like, presence of this movie. I'm really glad I watched it in a theater. My my sister actually watched it almost the same time as I, as we did, but at home on HBO Max. And afterwards we talked and she was like, it was okay. I was like, in a, in a theater? Not too shabby. So, Andy, with that, you ready for recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend Godzilla v. Kong? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're again, if you're a fan of the monster movie genre, but you know, it's a big spectacle, lots of effects, lots of action. It's why we go to the movies. It's one of the big reasons to go. And lots of people are going and it was successful. And if, you know, you don't want to get out or aren't comfortable getting out, you can watch it in the comfortable comfortableness of your own home. Uh so highly recommended. It is a little bit too long and there's too many human subplots that kind of get convoluted, but just uh don't pay too much of attention to that and it'll be fine. Yeah, so I'm in the same boat. I'd recommend it, and I never recommend these monster movies. Um, this one is, I think, the best of all of them. I think it's best enjoyed in a theater. If you have the means, you should totally go see this in a theater. I mean, it's not like Jurassic Park. It's not going to make you think about, like, you know, humanity and the wonders of science or anything, but, like, there are cool monsters beating stuff up. They're surprisingly sympathetic. They're not just dark, tough, you know, uh, uh, brooding angry animals like both of them seem to have some kind of like thoughts and emotion behind them and i feel like this is a movie made by people who are particularly passionate about this craft uh people who i hope are passionate about uh, the genre godzilla vs kong surprisingly good i'd recommend it in theaters if possible that's that's the one caveat to that try not to watch it on hbo max because it's it's uh it's very grand in scope. I hope there are other films that are coming to hbo max this year that will feel the same way about namely things like dune and matrix 4 because you know, yep. Those feel very cinematic. And with that, we need to talk about movies that are coming up soon in a segment yes. we have not done. I, Andy, I don't even think I have music for this segment. It's been so long since we've done this. <laughs> no, how, how, does this that too. how does this go? I don't remember, but okay. I will introduce it. Please. Coming soon. So, we're going to be discussing what's coming out in the next uh, just two months. Uh, it's actually even at the height of, of film when things are normal. Usually you can't see more than two mo- two months out. The date starts to shift too much. Anyways, we're going to be talking about the next uh, six to eight, eight weeks. So first up on April 23rd is Mortal Kombat, uh, which we're all looking forward to. That looks like a good time. That will be in theaters and HBO Max, another simultaneous uh, hybrid r- release. Uh, Zach, what do you think about that? I'm looking forward to it. Um, we watched the trailer in front of uh, Godzilla versus Kong um, and in the movie theater. And like, 
My man, my bar for success for that movie is so low. I'm like, you you don't even have to do anything particularly impressive. Have some good fights, have some good matchups. There's already a lot of good characters in there. I like the look of it, the the, the art direction, the lighting all seems solid. Put in the main theme. All right, you got to have the 90s Mortal Kombat rock theme. You have to. I, and not in the credits. I want it in the film, like hardcore. I want like an awesome fight with that in front of it. Preferably the final fight of the film. Give me the characters I love. I, how could you go wrong with, with Ninja Palette Swapped, uh, Palette Swapped Ninja the movie? You know, it'd be great. It'd be great. What do you think? I'm super psyched for it. I saw the original in, in theaters. Nice. Uh, it was terrible then. Uh, I particularly remember seeing the second one, which is even worse than the first one. And somehow it has like the greatest uh, soundtrack or like opening like theme. Dude, ever. that music. Oh, it's so um, good. Like they play a little bit at the end of the trailer of this one. And I was, and it just like, huh, huh, I got yeah. like pumped for it. I want it so bad. Good. So next up at the end of uh, the month is uh, the Mitchells versus the machines, which is an animated feature. This was originally called, uh, entitled Connected, and this was actually supposed to come out in the previous fall, at uh, last September. Um, and this f- follows kind of a, a dysfunctional family. This, oh, here, I'll just read it. A quirky dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse. So this starts to play out like um, a little bit like The Incredibles, or like, you know, this family uh, who, who aren't getting along, a little bit dysfunctional. And the uh, kids going off to college, and then all of a sudden, like uh, their technology takes over. So it kind of takes a hard, uh, hard left, uh, which was pr- pretty cool in the trailer. Like I said, it was supposed to come out back in September. It's now been sold to Netflix and will be on at uh, end of the month. Zach. So this movie actually looks surprisingly good. I don't know if you remember way back when we talked about the trailer, the connected, but I remember. I mean, it, was, it had to have been over a year ago. Andy posted like it posted it in the trailer park on our sh- weekly show outline and. I watched it like, okay, what is this going to be? Some DreamWorks animated movie. All right, cool. It actually looks surprisingly good because it first and foremost looks like a movie about a father connecting with his kids and his kids connecting with dad and kind of reaching across that generational aisle within family. But then also has like this wacky horror element to it where the world is being taken over by like robot alien things. And I think that's the, that's what the best horror does, right? The best horror movies are horror movies where, like, the monster is, like, coincidentally there. The plot holds up by itself. The characters hold up by themselves. And here it does. Connected looks good. I'm glad it's coming to Netflix. I think that makes sense. Or, sorry, Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope they can keep their marketing on brand because it is concerning they change the name. Um, that, I hope, is just indicative of they wanted something more catchy and not as generic like i i hope that's not indicative of like this movie is terrible and we're trying to figure out a way to market it i I mean no i I think connected is a little generic and yeah i think they wanted something that was a little bit more memorable and something that reflected the film a little bit better yeah (sighs) and uh moving on to the uh and the next kind of big feature in may this is so strange because usually this would be like you know this is when avengers came out this kind of thing uh but May 7th, uh, the big release is Wrath of Man, which is the uh, Jason Statham action vehicle, which we discussed last week, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie. Uh, I'm generally not a huge fan of those, but this one actually kind of grabbed me. I like the trailer. I, I like seeing Jason uh, Statham beat people up. Uh, so that, that kind of looks good to me. What do you think? Yeah, Wrath of Man looks okay. I, I'm a big Guy Ritchie fan. I, I love his stuff going all the way back to like Rock and Rolla and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. His more recent work, The Gentleman and Aladdin, I was not super into, but I will pretty much go see his movies 
regardless, because I enjoy some of his earlier work so much. This is obviously a return to form. Uh, he's not in Britain this year. Although he's out in L.A. where this movie is taking place. And it definitely looks a bit like Guy Ritchie meets like Michael Bay. It looks like it's got that kind of explosive, high octane saturated Hollywood energy. I like that it also stars Josh Hartnett. I'm anxious to see him in a role again. That guy's that guy's a, a leading man material, by God. Uh, ultimately, Wrath of Man looks pretty good. I hope it's not bad, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm interested. I'm, I'm ca- cautiously optimistic. Andy, Wrath of Man, you, you into it? Yeah, I'm into it. I think uh, I'll probably go see it for sure. Yeah. All right, next up, we have Spiral coming out May 14th. This is the next book, next book, the next movie in the Saw franchise. This is a bit of a spin-off, sequel, reboot, prequel kind of thing. You know, Hollywood likes to do those. This stars Chris Rock as a detective who is... Uh, Given given a bit of a bit of a journey uh, when he uncovers what appears to be uh, evidence of a jigsaw copycat following the gruesome jigsaw murders as depicted in the previous Saw films. Uh, it also stars Samuel L. Jackson as I believe his father. And that's all we really know. Um, the the trailer has been kind of vague. We've seen a couple of them. We don't really know a lot about it. I know Chris Rock's very passionate about this. He got it on the writing on it. I don't know, man. If you told me Chris Rock was going to make a Saw movie, I'd have thought you were crazy. But not only is he making one, this might be the best one so far. So, Andy, what do you think of Spiral? Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Like I was saying, it's got this weird star power because these films were actually known for being pretty, uh, not low budget, but, you know, having a B tier, C tier cast. And now we're getting uh, two, you know, Hollywood A-listers. Um doing a, a procedural cop drama in the spy in the saw universe jigsaw is back yeah um i'm in i'm intrigued if we decide to see it i don't think i would normally see it but if we decide to do it for the show i think i'll definitely be excited i'm a big fan of one and two so i'll definitely be pushing to it for the show so for those of you who are saw fans out there i got your back next up we are <laughs> looking at cruella on may 28th it's going to be coming out on disney plus and in theaters so you have the option to watch at home if you have a disney plus subscription Although it will be an additional $30 with mentioning this premium video on demand over there. So you got to spend 30 bones on top of your Disney Plus subscription or go see it in theaters with your friends. Cruella is, of course, the story of Cruella DeVille played by Emma Stone before she becomes the Cruella DeVille we've come to know and hate in the Disney films. I don't know how they're going to make a movie about a woman who goes on to kill puppies. That seems to be the move. It's got a very trailer's got very Joker energy, I guess. Andy, (laughs) what do you think of Cruella? It looks interesting, but this is the problem with all these Disney remakes is that they look really good, like great costumes, great makeup and hair and all that. But then like they're also boring and generic and rehashes, uh, although their prequels have been been better. The Maleficent films, um, I, I didn't see them, but I did hear that they were um, much better than, than kind of their shot for shot remake. So it could be a little bit better. I'm definitely not paying 30 bucks to, to see it. Um, but it, it, again, it, it will be in theaters and Disney is stick really sticking with this hybrid model. Yeah. I'm not interested in their hybrid model, but I am interested in stupid Cruella. I, I, mean, I hope it's good. I really do. I hope it comes out and it's like a straight banger and nobody expects it, but it, it, it yeah, I'm a little skeptical right now. Emma Stone looks like she's having fun. The last movie we got on our coming soon list this week is a quiet place Two uh, coming out May 28th in theaters. This is, of course, a sequel to John Krasinski's A Quiet Place from a few years ago. You may remember seeing the trailers from this way back in like 
2018, I think, probably end of the year they were starting to advertise this movie because this was supposed to come out in like this was supposed to come out like a month after yeah quarantine started like within within 30 days of when quarantine like really kicked off this was supposed to come out so this movie has been pushed back and back and back it is a direct sequel to the original film it immediately follows the events of uh, the first film following the abbott family in their quest to leave their home and venture out into the world because they're not safe anymore i think from the monsters that can hear them but can't see them so they have to be very quiet and find themselves a quiet place numero dos uh, the mo movie also stars killian murphy in a new role uh, not sure whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy but we'll see andy are you excited about a quiet place too yeah absolutely it had a, a really phenomenal trailer. I was a big fan of the first movie, and we, I was really excited for last year, for, for last spring, uh, for it to come out so we could see it, and then uh, we missed it, and and they never wanted to push it to to streaming, so um, yeah, I'm glad that it's, it's in theaters. I'm cautiously optimistic about this movie. Out of this whole list, this is the one I might be the least excited about. I think the first one was good, but it was a bit gimmicky. I think the second one, Krasinski needs to do some new things in the director's chair. I, it was a great first outing as a director for him, but I want to see some more suspense. I want to see some more, a little more action would be nice. Um, now that uh, we have a better understanding of the, the, the bad guys, the monsters from the first film, like I hope our characters will take that and use it you know, use that knowledge to their advantage. I want them to grow a little bit. I want them to change. I don't want it to be just another movie where there's, they try to be as quiet as possible for 90 minutes. Like I want a little more, oomph, a little more something. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here. I, I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. So, you know, cautiously optimistic. We'll probably end up watching it for the show. If you want to keep up with what we're watching and maybe hear our reviews for all of these things, subscribe to Offscript as soon as possible. You can do it right now and uh, we'll get new episodes to your phone every single Tuesday. And with that, we need to talk about our final review of the episode. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. Concrete Cowboy. So this is a new Netflix drama starring Idris Elba, uh, which is about these uh, urban cowboys in northern Philadelphia, uh, which are real people. Uh, based on kind of this urban cowboy um, tradition. Um, the story centers around uh, a young black teen named Cole, played by uh, Caleb McLaughlin of Netflix, not Netflix fame, well, Netflix fame, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, thing, yeah. Um, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, Cole is a troubled teen. He is getting in lots of fights at school. He doesn't get along with his mom. They live in Detroit. Um, and she's had enough, and so she drives him to his his estranged father's house, uh, Harp, played by Idris Elba, in Northern Philly, and just drops him off and says, "Hey, I'll, I'll see you at the end of the summer. I can't take this anymore." She drops him off at this at his house, and uh, he doesn't really have a lot. He's got a one bedroom apartment. You know, he's got a. Uh, sleep on the couch or the, the son has to sleep on the, the couch. Cole doesn't like it. He's he's not having any of it. Um, but he doesn't have a lot of choice. doesn't have a home. So he's got to kind of play by the rules. So he, he slowly, very begrudgingly begins to uh, learn the ways of, of the urban cowboy. He learns about riding, about uh, the state. I mean, because they have like stables in the city. It's, it's really a cool thing. And um, he learns about the neighborhood, the heritage, and meanwhile, there's you know it's a family drama because he he doesn't get along with uh, his father, 
Um, but he kind of has to. He's in a situation where he, he's not going to have anywhere to live if he doesn't. Um, so it gets into the backstory and history of, of the, this movement of urban cowboys as well as the you know other things going on in the neighborhood, drama between him and his, his father, all that. Uh, kind of wrapped up in in our story, so that's our story. I like this a lot more than I I thought I would. Again, Netflix is kind of hit and miss, and uh, I enjoyed it more more than usual. And there's a lot to talk about. So, Zach, what do you think? So, I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would. Um, I think it still has some problems. I think the things this movie does best is is kind of it's a it's very affectionate look at a very real group of people through this kind of fictional lens that we're telling the story through. The movie is based on the Fletcher Street, right? Fletcher Street writers, a real group of individuals in Philadelphia who own, own horses and basically live like cowboys. Um, and, and it does a really good job of paying homage to them and, and, and even having some of them in the film, like play characters like themselves, similar to how nomad land featured actual nomads. Um, it does a really good job of kind of looking at that history and that heritage and, and taking a bow to it. What it doesn't do well is have like any, any kind of really interesting story woven through that. I think, I think Caleb McLaughlin's character is a little dull. I think, uh, the the spotlight is in the wrong place here. And I think the cinematography is really stunning, but ultimately like it seems to be lacking, um, in some of the areas to really make a pop and really make it shine. It's a good movie. I don't think it's a great one. But I want to talk about what makes it really good. Uh, what's the best place to get started? So I think our performances are really solid in this. Um, Caleb McLaughlin has to pretty much carry the the whole film, and he, you know he's got a lot going on. He's got, you know, he's living in this strange city in this strange apartment with his uh, estranged father. There's a literal horse that lives in the apartment, um, <laughs> which is you know, uh, and he's just like, what is this crazy like? situation like i'm not having it and he's also he he ends up teaming up with um or kind of rediscovering a childhood friend uh named smush uh, played by Jarrell jerome who we last saw in oh i'm blanking oh gosh i don't know but he was good <laughs> what else did we see him in uh it was the best picture i can't moonlight moonlight oh my god he wasn't moonlight wasn't he oh my gosh yeah uh in moonlight and this is a source of tension because this childhood friend is very clearly a drug dealer and he offers cole a spot he's like hey you know i need someone to help me out with what i'm doing you know you can uh, ride with me and I'll, I'll protect you and i'll sh- show you the ropes and uh initially he wants you know cole he's like well i don't want to live with my cowboy dad he's got a horse in the apartment i'm gonna go with this guy um but we we well especially Idris Elba knows it and is like, no, this isn't a good guy. Don't hang around with this guy. If you're going to hang around with this guy, you're not going to live in my house. Um, so there's a lot of kind of tension going on. And uh, Cole still hangs out with Smush just because, you know, he's he's earning money. It's, he's kind of a cool guy. He, like, you know, goes to cool parties. Uh, so that's kind of going on in, in the background as well. And Idris Elba does a good job at being like the old, I forgot we were talking about performances, of being the, the uh, kind of old cowboy dad who uh knows knows this world this weary world yeah so i think i i i'm on the other side of the coin i, I don't think caleb mclaughlin was good in this movie <laughs> and like maybe he'll win a freaking glow golden globe for it and, and i'll be totally wrong but he he's just lacking in charisma he's just not charismatic 
And I get it. He's supposed to, he, like, the character he's playing is not inherently a charismatic individual. He's supposed to be playing this character who gets in fights all the time and doesn't listen to his mom and doesn't have a dad in his life and, and just is bouncing from school to school and he's going to be a washout and a nobody and fall through the cracks of society. He's supposed to be grumpy and mad all the time. And in a way, that makes sense. That's that's the character he should be playing. But like, that's not particularly exciting to watch as a protagonist. Like, you just kind of have a dull character who doesn't talk to anybody and is mad. So yeah, when he when he when he comes in t- when his mom, <laughs> who doesn't who obviously can't handle him, drops him off in in town with his father, who is completely absent in his life and d- clearly does not want to spend any time with him. Uh, he's, he's naturally mad and, and he gets, he gets to the house and his mom leaves him on the curb with a, with a trash bag full of clothes and tears off in a town and he's got to go find his pops because his dad isn't even home. That's how little his dad actually cares. Um, and, and through the movie, it, it comes out, okay, there's some other stuff going on. And I think, I think Idris Elba does a pretty good job of being a dad who, just kind of doesn't want to have to have a kid. Like he doesn't want that to be a responsibility in his life. I, I can understand that character, but um, it makes for a pretty bitter group, like cast of characters. Like everybody in this movie is, is pretty frustrated, except of course, like a lot of our other cowboys, a lot of the other people who live, who live like in this area um, with, with these two individuals, many of which are played by actual Fletcher street, Cowboy, Flesh right, Street right. writers, um, which mm-hmm. was a surprise. I didn't find that out till the end of the film during the credits. They have some of them featured in there. Um, and they do a great job of acting in this movie. I assume they were all actors. And it's like, oh, no, none of them have acting backgrounds. So I was surprised at how good they are at playing characters like themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that really was it was a surprise to me as well. And I'm glad that they were using actual um, you know, people from, from this community. Uh, also of note is um, Method Man, who's... Uh, he, he, where is he? he? He's named it. Oh, I, they have him as Method Man. Uh, but he's like, Leroy? Uh, Cliff, Cliff Smith. Um, no, yeah. But um, Method Man is in this. He plays a cop um, who's he's kind of neighborhood friendly. He's on a weird position because, you know, the there's a, a subplot with the neighborhood kind of being frustrated with these horses and the stables and they want to shut it down and get them moved. And Method Man, he's like, hey, you guys got to do something about this or they're going to kick you out. No one really wants to listen to him. And they kind of see him as kind of the enemy. Um, but he's a big influence in the movie as well. Yeah, he's actually really good in this movie. Um, I was really, he, he plays a really good um, dichotomy for our characters who are kind of living off the grid and 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 living in this I mean, living like cowboys is really what they're trying to do and kind of living in a bit of this fantasy. And he understands that while that's his environment, when he's at home, like when he goes out in the world for a profession, like that is clearly not the way the world is. And he kind of has to walk this line of of telling them, hey, you know, you should live life and be happy, but also like <laughs> you got to follow the rules, you know, and sometimes that's not sometimes that does that's not always what's best for you at the time. But like. That's the way it is. So so he's got a really interesting character. Yeah, Idris Elba plays an interesting character. Lorraine Sant plays a neighbor Nessie. She's she's really good. I wasn't really pleased with Caleb McLaughlin, but I think I think it's the character. I think it's the way he's written. I don't think it's it's his ability as right. an actor because well, I mean, he's a lot more he's a lot more charismatic on Stranger Things. So yeah, I mean, I don't think you're really supposed to like him. I mean, he's he's a troubled teen who like gets in fights. You know, he's not exactly yeah. a sympathetic character. So let's talk about our, our cowboys in Philadelphia because this is this is modern day, right? This is supposed to be yeah, yeah, and we have them riding around wearing cowboy hats and and taking care of horses <laughs> inside of apartment buildings. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's what's really crazy is that, yeah, there is a stable amidst all these apartments in northern Philadelphia, which is a very densely kind of packed um, city. And so it, it's crazy that there are, you know, horses there and that people ride them and there's, you know, it's it's a whole culture. Yeah, I know this is based on a book, a book called Ghetto Cowboy, and I'm looking for the author's name right now, but I don't see it. But apparently how this came about, one of, one of the writers of uh, the, the screenplay possibly the director, Ricky Staub, was driving around Philadelphia at one point for something. And he saw a few of these guys on horses and he was just like, what is the story behind them? And that's basically how this movie got made. He, he, he asked around and got turned on to this book and, and eventually would go on to make the film. And I think that's um, kind of a good metaphor for what's happening in the movie. I, I don't think like the, the kind of central conflict with Caleb and his dad and, and or Caleb uh, Cole and his dad and his mom, like none of that was particularly interesting to me. <laughs> it's the, it's the Cowboys, right? Like, it's the title of the movie, concrete Cowboys title of the book, ghetto cowboy. Like that's ultimately what's interesting. The rest of this is just kind of a fictional wrapping around it to give us, to give us a through line. That's a story that we can kind of follow. And Caleb McLaughlin serves as a really good vehicle for the audience because he's new and doesn't understand this environment of kind of urban cowboys to kind of slide in and and, and kind of take this mantle and, and start to kind of work with his father. And over the summer, as the two of them kind of grow and I guess bond in their own way, um, you know, that you really do yeah, get some, some good opportunities to 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 get to know them and get to know this 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 world, make it feel very grounded and real, very affectionate, I think. Yeah, it's a coming of age story, and you know, uh, C- Caleb's got to start from the bottom. He's, you know, he's, he's got to start. Sh- he starts shoveling a horse manure. He's got to clean out the stables. Um, but it's it's a little bit of a kind of it takes a village um, because you're you're right. He doesn't really get on with his father, and they don't really solve a lot of issues um, early on. But there are other people he meets within the community, other people that are riding, other people, or like you know, Method Man's uh, police uh, character he meets other people that help him help him to figure things out, help him to become a more well-adjusted person. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, writing aside, I think it's worth mentioning in this film is the cinematography in this movie is really stunning. It's really good. Um, I I felt like the editor and the cinematographer were at odds with one another because there's certain scenes where something particularly profound happens or two characters in an argument and, you know, things where, you want to have some some visual weight to what's happening situations. There's one scene in particular where a character is is gravely injured, um, and th- this scene is is over in like 25 seconds. But it's shot so well that most of the movie is handheld. It's a really shaky handheld. It makes it feel very real, very grounded, and a lot of it's really good work, really good lighting, really good camera work, and and these shots just fly by. Like the editor just cuts from one to another. It's like, hold on a second, like let this let this stuff hang out a minute. I, I think this movie could have been ten minutes longer, and I don't know if that would have hurt the pacing because again, I, I didn't really find myself kind of getting on board with this kind of paint by numbers plot, but I I did really like the look of this movie. It's really good work. Um, I wish I could have seen more of it. Yeah, I uh, I actually felt it was a little long. Like I think I got about ninety minutes in before I whipped up my phone. So <laughs> that's oh, you're watching at home. Metric. That's what you that's, do. Yeah, yeah. That's the new metric is how long till till I feel I need to grab my phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah I, I agree. I mean, for for me, most of this worked pretty well. There's 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 main plots or subplots. They wrap up nicely. Um, you know, it's coming of age story. I I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I I wish I had. I don't know. I guess for such an intricate kind of setting, for an intricate wrapping for this film, I, I really hope the plot would have a little bit more like bones to it. I, I just kind of hope to do something different, and it just it starts to feel like it's in this rut that I've seen before, and that's okay because because the story of this film, like the what well, the story, the, the the heart of this film, the meat of this film, this this kind of group of individuals who live off the grid and 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 find themselves, you know, defying what people think of them and, and not caring what people think and living the best way they know how and, and kind of respecting this heritage they, they have. It was really inspiring. Like that stuff really works. Um, I just didn't enjoy the plot as much, but that's okay. I, I think Concrete Cowboy does a lot of things really well. Um, I'm glad I watched it. It, rem- it reminds me a little bit of like, um, like Mudbound on Netflix from a couple of years ago. Really solid movie just doesn't quite tip over the ledge to get into theaters. And like, that's kind of a shame, but I, right. I, I like this movie a lot. Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend concrete cowboy? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Good performances, uh, good family dr- drama, really interesting and unique culture. These, uh, Fletcher street writers, um, that it talks about and just the whole idea of urban, cowboys and you know having actual cowboys and horses and stables within uh the city uh really kind of an interesting um good performance from Idris Elba and uh Caleb McLaughlin as well so uh yeah highly recommend yeah I think I'm in the same boat uh I really enjoyed this movie I don't know if I would say it's a ringing recommendation from me um but it is number two in America for a reason on Netflix right now you will probably see it on your home screen the next few days Think about giving it a shot. At least start it. At least at least start it and, and get 20 minutes in this movie and tell me you don't want to watch more. Like it's it's a very intriguing first first act. The second act gets it moving. Third act was okay. Uh, it didn't didn't quite end the way I hoped it would, but that's part of what's exciting about Concrete Cowboy. So go ahead and give it a watch if you have the means. It's available on Netflix. Uh, meanwhile, Godzilla is available on HBO Max and in theaters. And that about wraps our show. Andy, what are we watching next week? So we're watching a new sci-fi film called Voyagers, which we talked about uh, just either last week or the week before. And this is the uh, one where there's a bunch of kids out in space and Colin Farrell is the one adult uh, kind of in charge of them. And then uh, they take a, 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 you know, a pill or a drug to, to make them kind of emotionless and, and basically r- robots. And they stop taking this drug and eventually kind of lose control. And this is all happening in space. So that's going to be in theaters. And then we're also going to uh, watch a recommendation, a uh, listener recommendation from Jordan Sutton um, called The Clove Hitch Killer, which is on Hulu. Yes. Uh, Jordan is also the same Jordan who commented earlier on Facebook during the show live. Jordan, thanks for weighing oh, in. We, right. are, we are going to watch The Clove Hitch Killer. I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about this movie. It looks all right. That's that's what I think. But he recommended it. Uh, Jordan went to school with me back in the day, so I'm totally good for watching that. Uh, so Jordan, we'll let you know what we think next week when we watch The Clove Hitch Killer. Uh, also, one other bit of feedback. We got a really awesome question via email this week from Jamal Park at Mapstone Park. You know who you are, Jamal. Thanks for writing in. I'm sorry we didn't talk about this, that this week. Andy and I talked it over, and we were like, we need to come up with some better answers because <laughs> Jordan's Jamal sent a surprisingly profound question uh so we'll be i think addressing that next week 
So we did get it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you writing in. Keep doing it. And if you want to write in like Jamal or Jordan, you totally can at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can also comment on Facebook where we do the show live every single Tuesday. Uh, you can weigh in on our live show. You can like and comment and follow our Facebook page for updates. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube where we post live live streams of our show after the fact. And we're on all of our normal podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. You know the places. You're probably subscribed to one already but if you're not you could really do us a favor and subscribe to the show as well that would help a ton you can check out our website offscriptfilmreview.com and if you have the means definitely just subscribe really that's like that's that's the the big thing if you're not subscribed to the show subscribe to get new episodes of offscript every single week straight to you on your favorite podcasting platform you can also rate and review but maybe we'll save that for next week let's just worry about subscribing right now we'll just worry about that one and with that, I think that about wraps everything. Eddie, am I missing anything? I feel like there's something else we're supposed to talk about. Am I crazy? Uh, no, not, not I that I can so. think of. Okay. I was just I did want to mention the Oscars are at the end of the month on the 25th. So we'll be talking about that in a few weeks. Ooh, Oscar talk. Watch out. That's going to be fun. All right. Well, from all of us at Offscript, uh, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.